on your way out, we'd be happy to provide you with them. It's been a pleasure having you aboard this morning. We look forward to seeing each of you again soon. And as always, we wish you safe travel. We hope you have a great day and a wonderful weekend. I've been going silly for the west side. You might catch me rolling where the reps rise. Ain't no opposition, I'm the best ride. I might take my city on a test drive. And we live, baby. What's up, you guys? It's your girl, Lex D. It's your girlfriend, Maya Feeney. And we are the, the Girlfriends Pod. Let's get into it, okay? We got Miss Braxton Sampson here today. And can you tell us why you're here and what podcast you have going on and what's to it, man? Yes, I'm so excited to be here, guys. First of all, this is my favorite podcast. So I'm just so excited that you guys invited me. I'm Braxton Simpson. Um, I'm a social entrepreneur. I go to Tennessee State University. And I am the host of a new podcast, In Ooh. This Skin. Yes, it's amazing. I love it. I just love like your tone in the podcast. Like, you used to be so calm throughout the whole thing. And I'm like, yes, I want to I want to reach that level of being calm one day, being at peace one day, it's amazing. Well, what made you start the pod? Like, what what gave you the inspiration and what gave you the name to the podcast? That's interesting. Yeah, so um, ever since I, so I'm a senior now in college, but my senior year of high school, I started this Instagram live series. We really started off on YouTube, but it transitioned into um, Instagram. Mm. But it's called Woke Wednesday. And so every Wednesday throughout the summers, I would um, basically just have candid conversations with my friends, um, just talking to them about social ills that plague society. And um, that's something that I always kind of wanted to turn into a podcast, but I just didn't know how. I didn't really know what to do. And then my good girl, Maya, she just gave me just the inspiration. I'm like, wow, this podcast is so good. I'm like, she can do it. I can do it, too. And so... Yes. um, I just started looking into it, um, looking at what it what it consisted of. I have some friends here um, that are in journalism here at Tennessee State, and um, they kind of helped me with that transition as well. So, um, really, want, I didn't want it to necessarily be Woke Wednesday, though. I mm. wanted it to be something a little bit different. So, In This Skin just came to me because, I mean, there's so much that encompasses being young, black, <sighs> a woman. Come on. And so, I wanted to provide a space a space specifically for that for people like me so so how has it been going so far has it been fulfilling in the way that you thought it would be like have you had any hiccups like just let me know like how has it been because i know in the beginning it's like it's a lot yeah i was nervous at the beginning i was like oh my gosh i hope people like it but it 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 has been really really good honestly it's a little different from Instagram because Instagram you have people watching you Mm -hmm. and you know it's like you don't want to say the wrong thing Mm -hmm. but with the podcast, it's just you and your phone. And the vibes, yes, yes. okay? And it's, and it's your brand. Yes. And this skin is your brand. So mm-hmm. it's just like, you can be mad at it, but it's my brand. So it's like, there's nothing that you can really do about it, you know, versus Instagram Live. Yeah. It's really different. They so. can't tell you shit. Yeah. It's your shit. But, I mean, I, right. I love it. Like, I love being able to be so transparent, to really say everything that I want to say. Um, even, like, just having conversations with my friends, um, and I've been able to have my mom on the podcast and my best friend and just kind of talk about the dynamic of a best friend and the dynamic of um, motherhood and, like, having a daughter. And um, those are, like, conversations that I've just never really, one, just had with them just because and it's created that space for that. But also, so many people have been able to relate to it as well. Right. So, and I think people have been able to see a different side of me as well, too, through yeah. the podcast. 
So, I think, yeah, I also think having a podcast is, like, a very vulnerable, like, you really, mm-hmm. like, people can really, like, because, you know, like, people see you on social media, but they don't have conversations with you, they don't hear your voice every they day, they snippets. don't, yeah, they get, you know, like, these little mm-hmm. snippets of our lives, but then mm-hmm. when you have a podcast, you can really get vulnerable, you can really put it all out there, so that's one thing yeah. I love about the podcast, but also, too, it's also a good space, because we don't have these conversations, so for you to be able to have a podcast and put it out there, it makes people not feel like they're alone and stuff like that. So I love, I love podcasts. The transparency, honestly. It's really, that's really yeah. what it is for me. And honestly, people don't realize we really just be recording, like, conversations. we don't be stop. Like, we, be keep, we just keep going because yeah. you realize, like you said, you said you feel like you're in the, in the room with us. You don't realize this girl talk that we be having, and honestly, everybody's welcome, but you don't realize, like, damn, okay, shit, you was going through this, so was I. Like, yeah. I feel this way too, so I and, definitely... And that's- that's definitely one thing that I like so much about y'all's podcast. And I was like, I think I can help provide this for somebody else, too. Because, mm-hmm. like, just sitting, y'all, when I tell you I was in, when I started listening to y'all's podcast, I was in Nebraska at my internship. So, I'm listen, I'm the only black girl there. Wow. Like, I'm not seeing no black people. I'm the only woman out there on my team. And honestly, I was lonely a lot of days. So, the only thing that I had really was my truck and my music and my podcast. Mm. And so, you know, I'm riding in the middle of nowhere listening to y'all. And I'm feeling like... I'm in Tallahassee. Yes. Like, oh, that makes me so happy. Yes. So Ooh. it just made me feel like I'm not. I'm not alone. Like I'm sitting here having conversation with Maya and Lex. Yes. You know? So it was good. It was great, and it definitely helped me just not feel so alone. Mm. You know, out yeah. there. So. Wow. We love the that. Power we of love. Podcasts. Yes, we love that. See, that is really like the goal. Like, yes, yeah. that makes us so happy. Do you want to get into today's topic? Okay. Yeah. So, well, also too. I know that you kind of tapped in about like your pod a little bit, but before we get into the next topic, can you at least just tell them like what you're about and you know what school you go to, you know what 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 is what is Brax about? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Braxton. So I'm 21 years old. Um, like I said, I'm a senior at Tennessee State University. So I'm studying agricultural sciences and political science. So plans to hopefully one day be a civil rights attorney, but you know that could also. Um, that kind of birthed out of my love for agriculture, really just feeding people who can't feed themselves. You know, you grow up in Atlanta, you see a lot of people that can't feed themselves sad. Mm-hmm. So, um, and like just being at TSU, you know, a lot of HBCUs are in the middle of the hood. And so yes. just every day seeing people just can't really provide for themselves and it's our people. So that's really what fuels my work. Um, and everything that I do, I would say is rooted in some type of service. So I tell people all the time, Everything that I do has been birthed out of a time where I felt powerless. Mm. So, wow. like, I call, I consider myself a social entrepreneur because I do have several businesses. But like I said, they're all birthed out of a time where I felt powerless. So, like, Woke Wednesday, for example, um, I also have a clothing line called Underground Apparel. My brother, he goes to FAMU, so he, he helps me with that. Um, but that was birthed out of just not feeling like there was a space for us black people, you know, growing up in Marietta, like mm. there was just a whole lot of racism going on. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of how that started. Um, I have a book club called Black Girls Read Too. Wow. Um, just because I, didn't even know I feel that. like it is so important for us to tell our own stories, to read our own stories, to read literature by mm. us, for us. And so um, that's another thing that I do. Um, trying to think, like, I don't know, I'm just always kind of doing something. I love to speak, speaking is my passion. If I could do that every day of my life, that's exactly what I would do. Um, 
Yeah. Girl, okay, that actually, hey, that's perfect because you said that you wanted to be a civil rights attorney. Let's get into that. Let's get into the facts. What is, what is the power of being outspoken as a black woman? Because it seems like you have a lot of different um, sectors and avenues to go in towards, like, you're outspoken, you like to speak. So what is, what is the side effects of that? Yeah, I mean, being outspoken, I feel like, I definitely feel like when you walk in your purpose, when you walk in who you are, um, you give somebody else permission to do the same thing. And so I think that that's the beauty in being outspoken and just being an outspoken individual, especially as a black person and a black woman at that, because for so long people have tried to silence us. And so um, I feel like when we lift up and we speak out, we give another black woman the permission to do the yeah. same exact thing. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. But it definitely comes with its consequences. Like, definitely Girl, comes with its consequences. Get into um, it. Yeah, I mean... I just think about all the times that I've spoken up and been so nervous to speak up. So mm-hmm. I don't even think I talked about this. Um, so I have uh, a few kind of, I guess, they're, they were pretty big positions. So I was a student trustee at our university the last two years um, prior to now. And, um, you know, just being young, black, of course, black at HBCU, but in a woman, um, in that space was, it was difficult, you know? Really? It was difficult. Um, and especially when you're amongst people that, you know, you know are more wealthier than you, you know they have more knowledge than you, you kind of think, how do I speak up in this space? And y'all, I'll tell you, honestly, it took me, took me, honestly, probably about the whole, it wasn't until the end of my first year that I really realized, like, I really got to make sure that I speak up. And if I had this opportunity again, I have to make sure that I do exactly all that I can do mm-hmm. because it was so hard for me to really speak up. And that's not something I really ever struggled with so much until I was in that space where I was like the youngest person, right. you know, and you didn't want to demand respect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I don't want to speak up too much because I don't know if my value, like if I bring as much value as everybody else, you know, mm-hmm. but it's at the same time, it's like, People are depending on me to do that, you know? So I would literally have to, like, in order, in in preparation for my meetings, I would literally write down when I was going to speak, and I would literally pinch myself, like, Braxton, say something, say something, say something. Don't be nervous about, you know what I mean? Like, what the the pushback would be. Um, But I don't think people realize, like, how hard it is to be a black woman in a space um, because you're constantly... It's like that double consciousness. You're constantly worried about how people will receive it, if people will take you seriously, if people will listen, you know? Um, it will be deemed as being too much right. or even too little, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think that's been, like, a very interesting experience for me. But it was great because, like I said, I was able to take that to my internship where I was the only woman, the only black girl and the youngest yeah. um, there. And so... You know, there's, there's, it's speaking out, being outspoken. It's like, it's very necessary. But I think sometimes, I don't think any black woman can tell you that it hasn't been hard at sometimes. Because yeah, people, I think on. people will look and think like, this girl be speaking, but it, that takes some time. They don't even know the half. <laughs> yeah. At all. Like, they don't understand yeah. that just because you look like this figure that can do your, you're powerful. We're all powerful. We know that. But doesn't mean that I'm not fucking nervous doing it or that I'm not feeling some type of way or that I don't feel... I'm human. We're all human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And also, too, like, like when you were saying, like, um, like speaking about being at HBCU, like, I feel like, like, on the other side, I feel like being at FAM, I feel like it has helped prepare me to be in those white spaces and, like, being able to, like, speak up. But even when you yeah. are in those moments, it's still kind of, like, not cringy, cringy. but cringy is the only word I can really say because, like, like for me, I know, like, I felt, I felt not uncomfortable. I felt very comfortable with who I was at, like, who I was and where I was at, but, like, Last March, I had to do, like, the broadcasting conference. And, of course, we were the only black school. It was... Mm-hmm. And even, like... Oh, it was in New York? Yeah, in New yeah. York. Like, the bro- yeah. IBS broadcasting conference. Like, we were the only HBCU there. And then we black were, kids came in and won, didn't they? Yeah, we did. Yeah. And we won that award. But it's just, like... Yeah. And it's, like, you know, all the PWIs. It was, like, maybe, like, I think one other black guy there. He went to a PWI. And, like, I think I saw him, like, the last day. And we were just, like, bro, where were you at the whole time? Like, we could have been, like, networking the whole time. And so, like, you know, it was just different panels, and most of the panels were white people. Um, and, you know, it was fine. Like, they had, like, different leadership positions, but it's just, like, you know me. Like, you know I'm coming in there. First of all, the whites. Sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry to offend anybody. That sh- honestly, should not offend anybody. White I feel people. Like the okay. whites, they, they, they came to the conference dressed in jeans, okay? Now you know our HBC. You, That's know, you, know, you know how we come in. <laughs> you for a whole different like okay first of all they, they came they came, privilege, they came wearing jeans bro like wearing they jeans wearing tennis shoes you know me you know i'm coming in a full i'm coming in my calvin Klein suit you come know on. what i'm saying i'm coming to each session early i'm sitting in the front i have my notepad out like i'm about to come ask some questions and so honestly i think that for them to see that they were kind of like caught off guard a little bit like i'm not gonna lie to you mm-hmm. and then for me to but be having have to do that yeah and then for me to, yes and then for me to be asking questions and to be sitting in the front and to be here first mm-hmm. like i think i think even that like my presence there was just like whoa like she's doing her shit like you know like you can't really tell her anything and even but even in even in that even in i'm fully confident i'm fully dressed i know i have my information mm-hmm. i know i'm i know who i'm speaking with you i have my questions ready feel. i'm still like ooh, like I don't want to do and too much. And, it, and it's still that. And it's like, I don't think people really just realize how much it is for us to bring our full selves everywhere that we are. Come on. And yes. like into every space. Because, I mean, same thing. Like, you know, you know, me and Blake, we're both in agriculture. And like Come being on. in agriculture, it's the same thing. And, you know, for me, it's, you know, where we grew up. We didn't grow up around no farms and none of that. We right. don't know nothing about that. Right. And so... Like entering into this field has been so interesting because when you go out into those um, spaces where you're amongst all a lot of white people, the only black people at those conferences be FAMU and TSU, mm-hmm. maybe Alcorn, you know. Yeah. But it, it's increased over time. But when we first started, when I was a freshman, it was just TSU, and um, you know, then other schools, other HBCUs started to come on. But it's not many of us out there, and um, you know, just. One, just feeling like, do I belong? Because even in that, um, going through my internships and just going to different conferences, it would just always be like, I'm here. I'm dressed to the T. I've learned and I've taken my courses just like everybody else. But at the same time, it's like, I'm feeling like, do I have enough to offer? These people grew up on farms. Mm. They seem like to know everything. Like, do I have enough to offer? And it's, I mean, it's like your resume can be stacked to the T. And you know that yeah. you're capable, but it's just still something in there that's it's like doubt. It's a room for doubt. feels kind of suppressed, you know. Yeah. yeah, and that's what makes me think too, because you say you had to, you got to, you had to push. You know, your fresh, your first two years, you had to push yourself. And then you talk about Maya coming in with her suit on, and she knows she has to have her questions ready. And it's just like, 
but then you have the the white people come in here with their jeans on and i think that also is what gives us that exactly because nine times out of ten even though we're doing the most we still are getting overlooked so i know it's we all as black women have that switch in us that's like okay you know if you don't say nothing who's gonna say something for you you know if you don't speak up you're not you're gonna be overlooked and it's definitely interesting to know that we all have it the power is in all of us but how do we tap in and how do we do it in a way where we're comfortable to move because your comfortability is gonna look different than my comfortability and we're gonna look different but it's just it's just to point to finding your own voice and finding what really works honestly yeah what makes me the most like sad is that like you said you have to find the point of when to move the sad thing is some people never know when to move Mm -hmm. you know and it's sad because you know that's the reality that we live in as black people um having to figure out when to move mm-hmm. but I, I do i do say that the hbcu experiences that the hbcu experience has made me way, way more confident in who i am and like and being in those spaces and still feeling like i can speak up it's just a matter of me, me my own like comfortability but i really do feel like if i went to pwi i still would feel very uncomfortable even being the only black person there but i think by me being at them, by me, like you said, taking those courses, by me being in all these courses that ha- pushed me to speak and to be a leader, like, I think that that has really helped, you know, yeah. as, you know, definitely boss up, I guess, and just, like, you know, feel comfortable in being a leader, which, I, I, you know, I've always been a natural-born leader, but it's just, like, it's pushed us even more so to the point to where it's, like, it's, like, it's just natural now, yeah. you know? And I could attest to that because I went to the University of Iowa. Like, I transferred to FAMU. So I went to Iowa for three years and did absolutely nothing. Like, our journalism program was a mass media program. We did, I never learned how to write journalistically. You see what I'm saying? Like, I was there for three years, literally. And I told on the last, like, last couple episodes, like, I left there for three years and had 50 semester hours, barely. So what was I doing with my time? I was in a space where I was uncomfortable. I would go to a class with 400 people in a lecture. There's three black people in there. Mind you, you're one of three, but two of those black kids are athletes, so they have scholarships. That's why they're there. So why are you here? And I think as the people that are listening that don't have the HBCU experience like us, honestly, you guys, I know that the world isn't black, and that's why people have struggles with HBCUs, but I can say I know I'm fully a different person. The things that I've accomplished in this past year and a half has only happened because I've been at an HBCU like I started a business and three years ago I was fucking depressed in my dark room inching myself to get out of bed every day no standard for school wearing sweats every day you see what I'm saying like no sense of accountability so to tell me that doesn't make a difference yeah yeah Yeah. you can't tell me that (laughs) you just can't tell me that I mean my I owe everything that I am right now to Tennessee State University Mm. I owe everything that I am right now to TSU. Like, when I left high school, I was not in the best place. Like, I I was just not there. I needed something else. And the, where I needed to be was an HBCU. And I needed to be at TSU. And TSU changed my entire life. Wow. Like, everything that I could have imagined for myself has nothing on what has happened. You know, like TSU has turned me into a boss. Like Mm -hmm. Tennessee State University has challenged me. It has shifted me. It has helped me when I was down and it has lifted me up, um, you know, time and time and time and time again. And I owe that to TSU. It's like, and even in the midst of the things that we're talking about, about being outspoken, TSU has prepared me to be able to do that. It has prepared me to 
get comfortable being uncomfortable, to push outside of those comfort zones and really just push on your purpose every single day. And I think the thing and the beauty about an HBCU is it prepares you for things that you didn't even Think you don't even realize. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think for me, it's a highlighted this summer, honestly, because I'm sitting here watching my friends like organize protests, speaking on national stages, you know, holding holding virtual conferences, like doing all these things for our community and for our people. And you can't tell me TSU didn't do that. Come on. You can't tell me TSU didn't do that. Well, you we know, see other black we were not those people. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just going to say, because when you see, I know when I saw black kids like that look like are my age, that's coming to class suited and booted every day, and they going to get theirs, period. So you better find what you're going to do because yeah. they're going to do it, period. And I, I definitely, I'm, I'm not going to say that, that, that HBCUs are a, sink, are, are a sink or swim because I don't want to say that people sink, but it, it, it just, it, it breeds greatness and you can't, because you, you have to hold yourself accountable every day. You can't. You can't slack. Like, it's not... I mean, yes, of course, you can have an off day, but not really. You get lost honestly. in the sauce you, quick. You get lost in the sauce quick. And I was just speaking yeah. for J school, especially. Like, yeah. you have to be on it. Like, you can't... Yeah. And they don't care about... Do you think that they care about excuses? Like, you think that they care about what you got going on or your feelings? No. But honestly, that is what... That is the grind. That is what breeds the greatness. That is what makes you push through. Like, no matter what. Like, we be insane. Bruh, we be like... Oh, I'm sitting here so fatigued and I have so many things to do. But like, so I'm things. still gonna do it type of thing. Yeah. So... That, yeah. And that's what we be feeling. Like, I honestly feel when I start my day, like... I... Even though, it, I, though I may not be globally known, I feel like the way I'm moving is is that in that space like every day i get up i feel purposeful honestly and that's what that's what gets me through it when we over here tired as hell like well i just know that this shit is for a reason i have an assignment and i've accepted it yeah (laughs) and that's where i'm at i wake up out of bed i'm like let's get to it like what's next let's let's get to it the bag (laughs) literally literally i was gonna say too so you said agriculture you know what is what like honestly i my mom had started a farm like she well not a farm but she started a garden in the backyard and like she wants to start growing crops she started greens and she has spinach now so they just harvested like last week too but just what is the importance of that because i've been saying this for the longest but i think black people or just the world honestly needs to get back to hunter and gather communities because we eliminate literally the government (laughs) the things the toxins that that we're putting into our bodies it is so important for black people to be able to grow their own food. Mm. Like, it is so important because when you look at the COVID-19 pandemic, for example, when the world stopped moving, you know what kept going? Agriculture. Mm. You know why? Because people got to eat. There's always going to be a job. There's going to be always be an opportunity. But at the end of the day, people have to eat. Um, through my amazing internship, I was able to um, actually go on this trip with the Black Business Resource Group. Um, it's called a Rides. And I, it was so fun. I got to get on the company plane. and It was it was just great. And we went down to Louisiana and Arkansas, and we met with Black farmers. That's actually this kind of happening right now. National oh, wow. Black Growers Council. That's dope as oh, fuck. Wow. Okay. National Black Growers Council. And y'all, there's a handful like of Black farmers. Like When I say handful, like 20 less. Like, like major with major acres, you okay. know, and mm-hmm. even their acres are not like 
the white man's 50,000 acres, you know? Right. And, you know, the world is getting away from big scale farming and more into, um, no, they're getting away from small farming and big scale farming. And a lot of that's eliminating a lot of black farmers. Um, and so they're saying that black wealth is going to be at zero by the year 2030 something because we don't own land. We don't own land. Yeah. And, you know, it's definitely not our fault, you know, and a lot of us, you know, when talking to those black farmers and realizing the plight on black farmers and just realizing like a lot of what they went through. I mean, from the point of seed dealers, like not coming and giving them what they need, like they'll go to every other acre around them, but won't come to them and give them the nice new stuff. Mm. Or um, I don't know if you guys heard a few years back. This company sold seeds. Keep in mind, a bag of seeds is maybe $300. So think about having bags and bags and bags and bags and bags for all your acres. Right. That's like a house, yeah. more than a house. Wow. You know, and them giving them fake seeds. So they're sitting there waiting for their corn and their beans to grow up and it never, it never sprouts. What? You know what, that, you know what that does? And one thing people don't know is farmers get paid once a year at harvest so they invest they're the they're the definition of an entrepreneur they take a risk and invest into their acres with hopes that it's going to reap returns with the harvest if your stuff never comes up your house is going wow your acres are going you don't have no choice but to sell that land because your family's not going to eat that's a big fucking setback basically <laughs> yeah and then you gotta wait a whole another year before you can get paid again oh wow <laughs> so it's it's sad and then when you think about that's just the part of a farmer so when you think about the part of a black farmer um mm-hmm. it's it's sad you know uh, you guys really should if you don't watch you guys should watch queen sugar oh um, yes no i love that i love that show because i remember like i think it's, it's her name charlie she was having yeah. like she was like she was having an issue like with the sugar and like the white people they were like trying to buy their land and like because they didn't want them to like have all like their sugar and then like even like when she, oh yeah because then she was like she's like bump the white man I'm, I'm gonna try to buy like the sh- like how however they process their sugar and like that was a whole thing like like they didn't want to they didn't want to sell her that it was just like a whole thing so yeah i definitely watched like, sugar yeah and you know louisiana arkansas is where you have more of the black farmers but um that show really details like the actual plight of black farmers. So when I was there, I actually met Natalie Brazil. Natalie Brazil wrote Queen Sugar. Oh, and wow. um, she was there and you guys, like the farmers, they were so grateful that she was there because for once they felt so left behind all these years. Like nobody talks about farmers, period. No. So mm-hmm. they're definitely not talking about black farmers. And for once they actually felt included, they felt like somebody had got it right. You know, yeah. like literally in there in tears, like, thank you for telling our story. Like, please continue to tell that story and get pe- black people to buy land if they can and don't sell it, you know, because um, a lot of times we're forced out of having to sell our land. You know, we have to to make a living um, for ourselves. And I think sometimes we sell land because we just don't notice that, know the importance of it. But mm. when we were brought here, we didn't have anything, you know. And so even like in talking to my friends that do have family farms or from the country, they have that 40 acres, <laughs> that wow. 40 acres in the wood, you know? But even if it's that 40 acres, like anybody listening, keep that 40 acres. I don't care if you don't do anything with it. Keep that 40 acres. And it's just like, like you said, when COVID happened, I think that's what, you know, my mom has been going crazy with this. Like, first of all, for she's already super busy. So for her to be starting a garden is already, you know, super it's not it's not crazy but just super like damn this is if you're gonna make time to do this you can make time for anything 
And yeah. she says her spirit is just telling her, like, you know, I got to get we got to we can't depend on the government for food because yeah. we don't know. We don't know what's about to happen. Like, we don't know if we're going to have a, a shortage of food in the next couple of months. Like, yeah. And you can tell you can't depend on the government for food, because when you look at these black neighborhoods and I always relate it back to TSU, because that's where I did food desert research. And so mm. I've literally seen these numbers talk to these people in this community that don't have access to fresh food, you know. And also, it's the mindset, too, because they don't see a problem with it because it's been so long. You know, mm. they don't see a problem with the fact that a mile, within a mile from here, there's no grocery store. There's no grocery store. The only thing that they have access to is a family dollar. And they go shopping in the family dollar, like, Come on. with the buggy. And, and don't see a problem with that. But the thing is, they don't know to know that there's anything better for them. They don't know to know that that's racism. <laughs> they don't know to know that that's systemic, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. So when people say we can depend, we can't depend on the government for food, we're, they're not even um, taking care of the people right now that, <laughs> that need the food the most. But you go across the railroad tracks a mile and a half away and you got Vanderbilt University and these white people have every and anything that they could possibly need. Whole Foods, (laughs) every corner, (laughs) Trader Joe's. Yeah, and and it's it's the saddest thing. Like, it's the saddest thing. And I even think about just growing up um, and going grocery shopping with my grandma and stuff, you know. You think about it because, and I don't know if you guys can relate, but, like, my, my grandma will have a spree in Dollar Tree, okay? Like, mm. she will have a full spree. Everything like, a dollar? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> tissue, food, cleaning supplies, everything, mm. you know? And I never really saw it as an issue until I realized that she grew up in the hood. That's what they had access to. That's what she knew. And so that's what she's continuing to do, even when she doesn't have to, you know? And... And that's a systemic issue in itself. Mm. And when we look at the health disparities that face black people, it's just thinking of the fact that we have heart disease, we have hypertension, we have all these issues. These are not just hereditary issues. These are issues that are caused by the government because we don't have access to the food that we need. And the people that populate these areas are marginalized communities, black people. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And also, and also, too, I feel like with those diseases, it's like where they're just like they're just so fast to medicate us when it's like, no, you can actually just change your diet. And yeah. that's what me and Lex talk about all the time, because I eat pretty clean for a person who still eats meat. I don't really eat red meat or pork, anything like that. I, I just eat pretty much turkey, chicken and fish. Mm-hmm. But Lex is a, is a vegetarian. and Her mom is a vegan. So, like, we talk about this all the time because, like, I'm trying to do a little bit better, you know, always. But just, you know, how, how they're quick to do that. And it's like, you can really just change your diet. Like, you can just eat clean and, like, those issues will go away, basically. Everything we need, the earth provides. That's why I be saying all the time, like, we don't need to be medicated up on all this different shit that they're putting in GMOs. Like, they're, they're literally killing us through this. I didn't mean to cut you off, though. You about to say something. No, I mean, and I was just saying, I mean, I just think about it all the time, like, how sad it is. Like, literally, me and my roommate will literally just ride through Na- North Nashville because North Nashville is like the hood in Nashville mm. and um, it's where TSU is it's where Fisk is it's where Meharry is where all these HBCUs were birthed and these amazing historically black colleges and universities and we just look at the quality and you know Nashville's a college town so college town so you know the uh, schools I just told you but then also right across the railroad tracks you have Vanderbilt you have Belmont you have Lipscomb you have all these white schools there it's so many. Wow. It's so many. But 
it's divided by a railroad track. Like you go across the railroad tracks and you it's have, it's literally the same here. Because yeah. Florida State, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's like everything that they could possibly need is over there. Like when I mean everything, like even stuff they don't need. We don't even have what we need. And the black businesses that we have on the street, they're taken away. And even like we go to the Kroger and stuff up the street. Um, typically kind of try to go to Walmart because it's a little closer to, you know. But like when we go to even the Kroger, like there's been several times where like I bought a lemon the other day. Just turned green out of nowhere. Like, you know, and like um, potatoes. I've had potatoes get old very quickly. You know, those don't get old fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just like, what? The quality that they're putting in these yeah. neighborhoods, mm-hmm. like the black neighborhoods, like what what is going on here? You know, bottom it's, of the barrel. <laughs> yeah, it's so sad. So my point to that is, we need to be capable of growing our own food mm-hmm. and providing for ourselves because we never know. And even when you look at these SNAP benefits and stuff during COVID nineteen, there were so many different things going on. Some states weren't even allowing people to do their stuff online. Like they were having to come in and wait in those long lines amongst all those people in the middle of COVID-19 yeah, to get some food for their right. family. Right. Which is a whole other issue too. Cause yeah. the South honestly is, and I, I really be amazed every day just at the little shit that they be doing out here because obviously there's racism up North. Yeah. Like there's racism in Chicago, there's racism everywhere. But down here, it's just like it's, it's so, so clear. It's just so blatant. It's, it's just, just like, so in your face. And yeah. I think Lexi's Lexi was just all the time like, cause you know, I think me and Brax were like not used to it, but we're just we're used to it. Like well, this is this is we how we grew up. Dinner. This is how we grew up. Like in the south, like literally in yeah. the south. Like don't get no we southern person every, every day. So it's just like oof. it's just so many issues. So many things yep. that we see that we that we consider normal, but Lex she's like, oh, like what's like what's going on here type of thing. Yeah, because at least crazy. Like, one of my closest friends, it's her birthday today. She's from New York, and she came down to TSU for school. Oh, um, that's a big difference. And, <laughs> yeah, and she's it's just been like a whole a whole like culture shift for her because where she's from in New York is a melting pot, you know, and mm-hmm. everybody loves everybody for the most part you know yeah i'm like i mean she's experienced racism but not in this way mm. i'm like no girl like people will real deal do you dead dirty mm. <laughs> dead, I, dirty, dead. i think that's what's confusing it's just like we have like the closet races are big you know everybody gonna be closet racist they gonna have that one black friend that makes them look cool but mm-hmm. here i just feel like it's so divided when you talk about the train tracks or when you talk about yeah, if we live in a nicer part of technically Tallahassee. Yeah, we do. Like 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 we like where we live, we live on the north side of Tallahassee, but like we live like fifteen minutes away from the school. So our school is on the <laughs> south side. So you know, we gotta drive every day to the south side, but it's like they have a piggly wiggly. They don't have a fucking Walmart. I don't think they have a Walmart. They got a piggly wiggly, a dollar yeah. tree, and a dollar general all right there. That's it. On campus. And that's all they have. But we're we're closer to Walmart and Target. But it's like if you don't have a car, then like Publix. And yeah, in Publix, like how could you get over here? Right. You know you're gonna have to walk. You know you're gonna have to walk. That's exactly. And then and then with groceries. So it's just like it's just not low income, low access. Like they don't make any money. Then you look and then this is a whole nother conversation. But like you look at now, TSU and I think fam you too is just being gentrified. So you have (laughs) so many people that have owned houses for years, black owned um residents and you know, the people are coming up in here. They're buying the properties low and selling them for high. And now the people that have traditionally lived in this neighborhood, the people who 
who were around and lived here ever since TSU was founded, mm. you know, their houses are being taken away and they're being sold at such a high price that black people cannot afford to live we here can't anymore. buy it back. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, when I come out to TSU, like, it was all black businesses. It was crazy. Like, they would be like, don't be walking down Jefferson Street all late at night. Now, I see what white people jogging with their dogs down Jefferson Street. Wow. It's a, it's a different, it's a different, it's a different time. Yeah, I know when I come back in five years, it's going to be yeah same thing with us because fsu is literally like buying like it's like a u-shape like how they're buying like all the property around um family because they can't of course they can't buy family stuff but like they're literally buying everything around it Mm. so like we're really about to be just in a circle of fsu things so i mean it's nothing that we can do about it and they already have college town which we don't have yeah you see what i'm saying they already have all these amenities of just going there and it's just like okay but when you talk about the gentrification, like you said, that's that could go deeper because the the thing that's fucked up, like yeah, that's what they're doing in Nashville. But shit, they're doing that everywhere. Like everywhere is being gentrified daily. So it's just hard when, especially when you know these these solid rooted, like successful black communities, and it's just like damn, we can't live and in a, a nobody cares. Like, and the thing is, like, T like when I look at TSU, when I look at Jefferson Street, like Jefferson Street, like. That's this is where Oprah went. This is where you know John Lewis. He went to Fisk. Wow. You know, like this is where like our like forefathers marched from TSU to the Capitol through Jefferson Street, like wanting our footsteps to be heard. You know, and all these black businesses that have like transcended time that mean so much to the community. Like we have this place. It's called Knockout Wings, and y'all. Mm. I mean. It's knockout wings. Like, to anybody, it could just sound like a wing place, but it's like a there's a cultural significance to it. Wow. And they bought it out. What? So it's still called knockout wings, or, like, what's to it? It's gone. Like, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. They just bought it out. That and, that, so and, and it's just like, it's how, happened how, all how, down Jefferson Street. It's the saddest thing. How often does that happen to us, where we have something fucking amazing? And what this what? That's literally the, the history of black lives, we have something amazing we built, and then what? The white man comes, takes he over, takes and we can't even get a piece of the table that we fucking built. <laughs> or we created. Yeah. It's just, it's, I just think that that just, that in itself just speaks volumes, honestly. But actually, but I 100% agree with that, with the agriculture. Like, this is something I will preach to, especially in times like this, just starting to eat clean, because I think now is a time where we really can't, we can't trust the, the government like you said, we can't even trust them right now. So, you know. But have we ever even really been able to? Exactly. That's the thing. Like, it's just really us as black people waking up. And it's like, yeah. oh, wow. That's it. We're all, like, we're aware that this, everything we've been told is a fucking lie. So. Yes. Just and be- I'm so glad, like, even in the midst of everything that has happened in light of, you know, George Floyd and Ma Arbery, like, Nina Pop, you know, um, Breonna Taylor. Like, I think everybody has really had time especially with COVID-19 to sit with everything that's going on and be like okay so yeah like shit ain't sweet like you know what I mean and I think that people have really started to realize like every single system that we are a part of was built out of racism you know Mm -hmm. um every single system and when we think about how we were brought over here when we think about how time has just transcended and how everything has just moved forward it is all rooted in systemic racism and so until we can 
find ways to dismantle the systems, we're going to continue to experience these things. So I'm glad that people are starting to wake up and are making efforts to doing that. Um, but yeah. And like, the way through that, real quick, the way she, like, that's all fucking facts. And the way we're going to do that is by some ownership. You said she said she's named like five different businesses she's a part of. Maya got a business. I'm working on my business. This is our brand. This is our, this is what I'm saying. It's really just about us taking ourselves out of this damn system and building our own shit because we can do that use the government if you need to use the government to do it do that if you gotta get a loan to do it do it you're gonna pay it back you see what i'm saying like and that's obviously loans that's a whole nother issue as a whole financial literacy but to eat to be financial free you gotta pay something you gotta pay some type of investment so you might as well just pay for yourself for your freedom or they're gonna be dangling you for the rest of your life in some type of way (laughs) You know, I think about that all the time because I was talking to my friend and I think so often we want to work so hard to um, try to get a seat at the table. We're trying to scoot up a chair. We're sitting behind the table. We're doing everything to get to that table. (laughs) Like create your own table. Yes. We're working so hard to lift up and find a seat at a table for these people that don't want us here. Mm. To try to be a part of systems that really need to be dismantled Honestly. you know so i think we have to start looking at should we be contrib- contributing to this system and trying to find a way any way possible to get a seat or do we create our own and start dismantling those systems by giving people that look like us the opportunity to do so because mm. you like you said nobody wants to sit you get to the table and you realize damn this is not even where i want to eat <laughs> And on that note, I think we should just end it off. But yes. um, today's conversation was amazing, honestly. Yes. Like, I I'm think- so happy you got to come on here, even though we had yes. to make it work. Okay. We're going to do something else in the future. Yes. And let them know where they can find you at um, Brax on on the Instas, on the gram. Yeah, so you guys can find me on Instagram at I am Brax Simpson, um, B-R-A-X-S-I-M-P-S-O-N. Um, you can also tap in with the podcast at InThisSkin.podcast on Instagram as well. Yes. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. Okay. Yay. Yay. You guys can always find me on Instagram at Maya Feeney, M-A-Y-A-A-F-E-N-I. And on Twitter, I have to make a new Twitter. Sorry, not sorry. Um, Maya Feeney. <laughs> um, I have to say that every time. I'm just like, that's, no, because that shit hurt my feelings. Damn. Damn. Okay. You know, you, it takes a while. It takes a while to build up the Twitter. Okay. okay. The new Twitter <laughs> is Maya Feeney, M-A-Y-A-A-F-E-N-I with two Eyes. And you can find me at Alexis with three S's Davis. And then you can also find me on Twitter at Alexis underscore Davis23. But matter of fact, go ahead and follow us on the girlfriends. Yes. Make sure you follow us Please. for more content. We have so much content for season two. Like it's just honestly it's content overload. And we're so excited that we can have Braxton here today. I appreciate yes. you being here. Such amazing person. Thank you. So Thank so lit yes. so much insight so much fucking black excellence i'm so here for this episode so many needed conversations and we appreciate you guys and we love our guy friends our girlfriends and we'll see you later peace love and motherfucking light <laughs> see you next time baby i'm just trying to let my hair down baby i'm just trying to let my hair down